So here's the thing. I am loath to say it, but I will text it. <laughs> I will. I will text it. Just <laughs> the word with three dots. That's like, <laughs> like stop nigga. playing with me. <laughs> well, and again, that in it, it's a way. It's a way to cut through the bullshit. So when you text nigga, it's like, oh, right. This is serious. I'm for real now. Like, nigga, come on, <laughs> nigga, nigga, please, come on. What's up? But yeah, I, and that's so strange. I think it's just, it's something about saying it. Even when I have said it in a rap song or otherwise, it just doesn't feel right in my mouth. But texting it, no problem. Welcome back, everyone. This stuck with Damon Young. The show where some of y'all out there listening just can't say my favorite word. I mean, you could say it. It's a free country or whatever. But there might be consequences to repercussions. Some problems you just don't want. So on today's show, we touch on the absurd and dumb as all the fucks fallout from Albany State University and HBCU in Georgia, offering a scholarship to a white high school quarterback dropped from his scholarship from the University of Florida for saying nigga. So joining me will be my friend, award-winning author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, Disha Filial. She's a linguistic genius and she's from the South and I know she has a very complex and nuanced relationship with that word. And so we talk about the rules, rhythms, and regulations of it and also, you know, answer some questions like, when did we first use it? Why do we use it? Is there a difference between using it over text or out loud? And how do we feel about the fact that some of us are still extremely uncomfortable with that word being a part of our lexicon? And then later, my homie, my partner, my nigga, Panama Jackson, co-founder of Very Smart Fellas and columnist at The Grio, joins me to help prevent a white woman from scaring her son's new black girlfriend away. All right, y'all, let's get it. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Disha. Damon. <laughs> What's going on? What's good? <sighs> it's all good here in Mississippi. Said no one ever. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So... So are you familiar with this Marcus Stokes situation? Do you know who that is? I didn't until the story broke, but now I do. Now you do. So quick refresh. He was a star quarterback out of Florida, 
was signed to the University of Florida, right? And ended up getting his scholarship rescinded because he was caught on camera rapping the lyrics to a rap song that had nigga in it, right? So he took away his scholarship. That was a big story. And then uh, a few months ago, Albany State and HBCU in Georgia offered him a full ride. Right? And then <laughs> Twilight Zone music. <laughs> and again, why niggas gotta be like the janitors for white sloppiness? I don't know why we gotta volunteer to like, you no, know, we will clean up your mess. We'll allow you to make another mess. That's a choice. <laughs> you know. So after a predictable social media uproar, the scholarship offer was rescinded. And then just last week, I think, the athletic director, whose name was Tony Duckworth, was let go. So, twists and turns. Mm-hmm. And the athletic director... He's white. Is white. And you have two of the blackest named <laughs> white people. Because Marcus Stokes sounds like a nigga. Tony Duckworth <laughs> sounds like a nigga. Yes. So, this is just a completely... And Quinn Gray, who is the black coach, right, sounds like a white man. So again, you just you just have just a circus of disconcerting racial linguistics happening right here. Disha, what the fuck? What's going on? Can you explain this to me? I'm from Florida. So first of all, I was shocked that the University of Florida took away a scholarship. I'm not saying that was the wrong thing to do. I'm just shocked that they did it. Agreed. I don't want this to be misconstrued as me giving carte blanche to white boys, white women, whatever, repeating rap lyrics with that word in it. But honestly, I did not think that was enough to take away a scholarship. And it just made me think like there must have been, they wanted to get rid of this kid. They wanted to get rid of this kid because that just didn't feel like enough for a school like Florida, Florida State, Miami, Alabama, Texas to take away a scholarship. Right. You know what I mean? From some white quarterback. Absolutely. And so Albany State comes through. Quinn Gray. <laughs> Wait, is it the alias or alter ego? That's his alter ego. Alter ego. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like Captain Save a Wigger, but his alter ego is Quinn Gray. Okay, we got it. All right. Yeah. And his flag is just a picture of Van Jones, right? <laughs> like, no, I'm not playing. <laughs> I'm not playing. It really is a picture of Van Jones. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) But I guess this story just gets into a little trickier, a little messier politic about, you know, that word, particularly like the rules behind its use, you know, and black artists use it frequently in rap songs and R&B songs also now, too. And so I will admit, I could see how like an 11 or 12 year old white person who isn't schooled in the rules and in the school and the discourse might think is okay. But I think that by the time you're like a senior in high school, mm-hmm. you should fucking know. By the time you're that age, you should fucking know. I'm sure he knew. And then, you know, recording it, it's how they rebel. Yeah, it's like a way of being subversive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it reminds me of this time, like 15 years ago, I was hanging out with some of my boys. Mm-hmm. And there's like 15 of us, except for one white boy. Mm -hmm. And we're like telling stories. And then a white boy, it's his turn for story time. And this is a white boy who hooped, he dated black girls. He even looked like John B. He thought he had a pass. Right. We used to call this (laughs) nigga John B. And so he's telling the story about, yeah, so I went over Shorty's house, you know, blase, blase, you know, whatever, whatever. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Then I get up in the morning, you know what I mean? And she comes to the bedroom all like upset, like, yo, there's three dudes sitting on your truck. So I'm like, what? So I go and look out my window. Lo and behold, there are three niggas sitting on my truck. Oh, shit. He's telling the story and everyone in the room is just like. <laughs> and then I think he just felt the heat from everybody. And then one of us was like, yo, story time is over. Shut the fuck up. Story time is fucking over. <laughs> all right. First of all, that lo and behold, it should have been, if he was really good at his job, it should have mm. been come to find out. So he was already sus right there because he was a faker and he slipped up and yeah. So did y'all beat him? We didn't kick his ass. Nah, that was the last time I kicked it with him in that space. We didn't like beat him up or nothing like that. But it was like, yo, what the fuck, dude? You can't do it. And he was like, apologetic and i'm so sorry my bad did his regular voice come back when he was apologizing well that's his voice that was his <laughs> voice right he didn't like turn into brad from accounting all of a sudden okay okay all right that was his voice yeah so you know that word it is my favorite word in english language right i feel like it is a swiss army knife that could be used for any purpose i love the rhythm of it i love the music of it I love writing it. I love typing it. I use it as exclamation. I use it as like a butter knife to kind of get through the truth. I use it as a way to punctuate a joke. Mm. What is your relationship with nigga? It's uh, complicated. I have a complicated relationship with the word. For years, I wouldn't use it. I never had a problem with other people using it around me, other Black people, of course. But it just never sat right in my spirit. But I was not somebody who was going around telling other black people, you know, you're, this is a slap in the face to our ancestors. If you, you know, I, I've never been down that path. Mm-hmm. And then in my writing in the last decade or so, it just came up very organically. Cause as you said, it's just, it's music. It's inherent in our language as black folks. And I didn't have a problem with my characters saying it. And I, you know, wrote it without worrying or thinking about, you know, maybe, I don't know if I wanted to read it, but I will read it now. But and give it a lot of thought. Around the same time, my daughters, especially my younger one, she's spicy. They started <laughs> using the word. And I realized they'd been hearing like other, you know, family, friends and relatives using it. They had always heard it, but only once they became teenagers, older teens, did I hear them using it themselves. Mm. And I was like, do I say something? And then it's like with everything else with parenting, I'm like, you know, they're going to be who they're going to be. This is who they are. You know, I have kids that, you know, use the word nigga now. <laughs> you know, how did that happen? You know, I did the best I could. <laughs> you know, you try to raise them right. Um, but it's just, it's it's a thing, you know. But isn't that proof that you did raise them right, though? <laughs> you know, they know how to say it. And, and I'm assuming that you're, you know, that your kids are saying it with the proper inflection, with the proper rhythm, in the proper context. With the A, not the E-R. They went to private school. They don't say it in front of their friends, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. With the A, not the struggle. Just osmosis. So again, this is proof. So good job. Kudos to you, Tisha. Thank you. But they felt it by just being your daughter. They just felt it like, you know what? My mom is a genius with words and we're black. <laughs> right. So we're just going to learn how to say this word. <laughs> That, you know, that again is our, is one is one of the few privileges that we have. In the right way. <laughs> that we are able to say this word and no one else can. One thing I will say. Hmm. 
I'm a proud parent that my kids would never give a white friend permission to use that word. Mm -hmm. Because, see, that's how people get caught up. Well, my black friends let me use it, but see, your black friends are going to get you beat, you know, because you're going to use it around the wrong person. So my kids will never be the black friend that gives you permission as a white person to use niggas. So I feel like I've succeeded as a parent. You won. I won. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, even, you know, what makes this situation even more absurd is like, you know, the white AD was fired, but the brother kept his job, right? Like, I feel like this is a win for Black History Month, at the very least. This is a win. This is a win. Absolute win. Absolute win. When I read that, I thought, you know, first of all, you know, again, Florida cut this kid, but then it was the, you know, the white AD that lost his job. And I was like, is it the optics? Did they do it for the optics? of the situation. What do you think the rationale was? I mean, I don't give a shit. I'm just happy that a white (laughs) man got fired for a black coach offering a white kid a scholarship because he got fired for saying nigga. Like, there's so many levels here. (laughs) There are just so so many levels that I, again, the rationale doesn't matter to me. I'm so not happy or thrilled, but so fascinated by the result that this white man ended up losing his job. Over nigga. And then also, and I guess this isn't uncommon, and you would know this because I'm not well-versed in sports, but is it common for the athletic director at an HBCU to be white? I, I don't think so. I mean, I know that there are HBCUs that have um, white athletes, um, white coaches, maybe not a whole lot of white head coaches, but white assistants and, you know, team management and things of that nature. So, yeah, I would guess that he's not the only white ad but he's probably one of the only okay white ad's um but again maybe they saw his name in a resume it's like oh this nigga's last name is duckworth duckworth is a black name right it's a black sound of last name that's the first white duckworth that reverse <laughs> the reverse that i've ever heard of the first white duckworth in the first white stokes and then he showed up and also it's like there was a 99.9999999% chance that this kid was never stepping foot on that campus, right? Like, even if they offered him a scholarship, like... I'm, right, he didn't accept. He, he's not, yeah. he's not, he's, he wasn't going to go there. And so this, again, this was a, a publicity stunt, essentially, and a stunt where the only purpose was to show, like, a performance of forgiveness, mm-hmm. a performance of allowing this white boy back into the bosom of blackness, what he did wasn't so egregious, and I'll get into that a bit later. But at the same time, it's like, yo, there are 300 other schools, 400 other schools, football programs that could offer him a scholarship. He could go to community college and play. He could go to like the CF motherfucking L and play. But you at HBCU want to give this kid a chance of redemption when no, and again, the, the haste part. It's the part that is really mm-hmm. telling because, again, no one no one was thinking about this kid anymore. What do you think was going through that coach's head? So I don't know what it is about some of us that it's like, you know, the part of our DNA that's like revolt and resist and run away. And then there's the part that's like coddle them and suckle their babies, you know, that's still at war in some <laughs> Black folks, apparently, because... To be hasty and to be even thinking about woe is that kid is to imagine, as we've heard about so many of, you know, white perpetrators of larger crimes, 
you know, this, the myth of, of white innocence and redemption and, you know, young white people just being young and boys being boys. But for Black folks, that's never extended. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're always guilty. We are adultified. Girls in particular, Black girls ages 5 to 14 are adultified and sexualized by adults of all races. Um, so that understanding that sympathy, that seeing our children as children, it's just not extended to us in the same way. And so for him to do that, I was disgusted. I, I, I'm not going to miss words. I just, you know, I was really disgusted. Uh, why are we caping for them? That's, I, I don't, I don't get it. So, but I think there is that part that says that we are supposed to let white people know that we know they're trying, that we know that there are some good ones, that we, whatever. I can only explain what I see happening. Why? I don't know. I've never had that impulse in my life and I never will. (laughs) So I can't explain where, you know, why it persists in some people. Even I grew up in Florida, being here in Mississippi, it's a different kind of South. And I've definitely experienced um, here, despite, you know, 18 years in the South growing up, I didn't experience go along to get along Negroes. Here in Oxford, that's exactly what I've experienced. And it's like watching a nature program. I don't, I don't understand it. But it comes from that place of somehow it's up to us to make things right, make things easy, to keep the peace to something. It's like we didn't create this problem. We didn't create these dynamics. So I'm not going to be the first one to extend anything. Um, so I can't relate to that, but that's what I see. And the thing is, you know, we, we know that many HBCUs are in precarious financial situations. And so to offer a kid a scholarship when there <laughs> may not be that much scholarship money to go around and you're basically taking the scholarship away from another black student to do this, because, again, this isn't University of Florida that can give right. 120 kids on a football team full rides. Right. They could probably give like 2000 kids. They have enough money to do that. This isn't University of Florida. This isn't Florida State. This is Miami. This is Albany State. And so you are directly removing money from a black kid, from a black family with that act. And all just to prove that you are like the. I don't know. It's the part that really gets me, I guess, is the performance Mm -hmm. of forgiveness. Yes. You know, for people who didn't even ask for it. Yeah. He didn't come to them and say, I would like to attend your institution. I'm really sorry that I did this. Could you please give me a chance? He didn't even ask. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the word, to the, you know, my favorite word in English language. (laughs) 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 You know, the, the black Swiss army knife nigga, you know, and how he got in hot water repeating that word. I know that there are some of us who who feel like, you know what, if we don't want them to say it, then we shouldn't use it as much. We shouldn't put it in our music. We shouldn't have it as a part of our lexicon. And for people who think that way, I have two words for them, and that's fuck and you. <laughs> but <laughs> I do. But but at the same time, I don't have the same like vehemence towards people who just feel like it shouldn't be said. Like, if you feel like we shouldn't say it because of what white people might feel, then fuck you. But if you feel like we shouldn't say it because you just think it's a nasty word, I don't agree, but I get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And so what was your entry to nigga? 
you know, it's one of those things where I almost feel like I've never not known the word. Because uh-huh. I've been asked a version of this question before. Um, I grew up, of course, hearing it at home. And I mean, and I knew it was a, a terrible word. I knew the history of it and so forth. And I knew it meant something different if a white person said it versus if a black person said it. That's mm-hmm. that's without anybody ever telling me that. I just have always known. But my personal engagement with white people saying it, I don't think I've ever had anybody say it to me. But I remember being in the uh, gifted and talented class, which when I was in the fifth grade, it was a pullout once a week. And they pulled the gifted and talented kids from different schools and took us to this one school um, where we spent one day a week there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was fall and the teacher had a bowl of mixed nuts. And there was a Brazil nut in the bowl. <laughs> and this kid, this white kid picked the Brazil nut up and said, look, a nigger toe, you know, with the ER, mm-hmm. of course. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know the teacher corrected him. She didn't let it go. I think I would have remembered if she would have let it go, but because she didn't, I don't remember the specifics. Somehow she handled it. It never happened again. So surprisingly, I don't have a lot of experience of hearing it coming from white people, despite, you know, growing up in the South. And then growing up, I didn't use it it just never sounded right in my mouth. Like it just didn't feel right to mm-hmm. me. Uh, I never corrected other black people from using it. I would sing it in rap lyrics, um, but I never wanted my kids to say it. So I was very, you know, like we weren't typically around people who were using that word. But then as they got older, they were around some family members uh, more frequently who, you know, used it real casually. And next thing I know, I hear, especially my younger daughter, like all the time. She is just nigga, 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 nigga. And I'm like, what happened? You know? So, you know, you try and raise them a certain way and, you know, shit happens. I'm uh, keeping a buck with you. I did not even know that those nuts were called Brazil nuts until, (laughs) until like five years ago. Like they were always nigger. I I knew that that wasn't like the actual name, nigger toes, but that's just what, that's what my dad would call them. And that's what I yeah. called them. I don't remember exactly when I recognized that there's a distinction between nigga and nigger with the hard R or whatever. I, I, I knew, well, let me put it this way. I um I knew that nigger was a slur and that it was used by by white people who were trying mm-hmm. to, you know, degrade us or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of nigga and in terms of that being like its own distinct thing, um, I don't, I don't know if there is like an actual like epiphany. It was just more of like, oh, the old heads, you know, them, that I'm hooping with mm-hmm. at Mellon Park. Oh, and, and my uncles in Newcastle and, yeah. you know, and rappers I'm listening to, they're using it the word this way. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have like my parents sit me down and be like, oh, okay, right. so here's nigger and here's nigga. And here's the difference between the two. It's just something that, uh, just an education that evolved Right. But I do um I do remember the first time I was called a nigger. Uh, how old were you? It's only happened to me like twice. Mm-hmm. Right. And neither time was like face to face. The first time I was like 14 or 15, I was waiting for a bus in Penn Hills to take me um, back home to East Liberty. And I was at St. Bart's then and, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for a bus. And it was nighttime. And this car, like a Ford F-150, came speeding past on Fangstown Ave. And the person in the passenger seat um, screamed nigger. 
at me. It was like nigger in the in the car. Like from kept, his bowels. Kept, yeah, and the car just <laughs> and the car just kept going. And what made it like even more surreal is that it looked like Ricky Schroeder. Show had been canceled. He, <laughs> yeah, he, had, yeah, he had some shit he, he had to get, get off his chest. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, you know, up to that point in my life, there had been like an anxiety, I will admit to, that I hadn't been called one because I felt like it was mm. a rite of passage that every mm. black person, mm-hmm. you know, need to experience at one point so that you could so that you could have like the nigger fight story where a white boy calls you this, then you whoop his ass. And then it, it's almost like some sort of black bar mitzvah. Right. Um, but again, he was in a car and he drove past. So I didn't get a chance to do that. That's Pittsburgh because when you are living in a place where the Klan marched downtown, you don't, you're not, there's no rite of passage <laughs> that's like, that doesn't end with, you know, and when your next door neighbor, you know, mother and father were lynched, mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a different, you know, uh, like I, I was terrified when uh, I was eight, when I was aware of the Klan marching on downtown Jacksonville and um, I had seen movies and all I know is that they had the hoods and the crosses and they were going to burn some shit. And so I was just terrified. And so I had always assumed that somebody calling me that would also involve violence and fire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that was a, a, a real fear of mine growing up so you you mentioned a little earlier with nigga is that you never really felt you never felt quite comfortable saying it can you you know possibly explain why particularly when you heard it in rap songs and you know you you have family members friends or whatever who who would say it sure i don't know it was just um it's almost like i knew too much you know Mm -hmm. and um you know, knowing how the word had been used and associating it with violence and, and my own fear, you know, I didn't really want to to engage the word. But then, you know, I didn't, I mean, you know, we're contradictions. I didn't skip those lyrics mm-hmm. when, you know, when rap songs had it in it. Um, I do remember you talk about uncles, like my uncle told this story of driving through some lily white area um driving back to jacksonville with a friend and they stopped somewhere at a mcdonald's or gas station somewhere and um this would have been late 70s early 80s and he he tells the story is the place went dead silent when he and his friend walked in and his friend turned around and said to everybody y'all ain't never seen no niggas before and i remember as a kid just cringing inside because it's like well, you don't want them to call you that. So why are you calling yourself that? You know, but everybody thought the story was hilarious. And I didn't. It was scary to me and weird and strange and uncomfortable. So I was just grappling with that the the whole time. But I've never felt like I needed to correct other Black people. I never felt like that was my place. Like you said, it's like, I know why I feel the way I do about it, but it's never anything about let's, you know, we we are being hypocrites because if a white person wants to say it, they're not sitting around waiting for permission for us, right? Mm -hmm. They're saying it. They are saying it, whether we say it or not. My thing is, if you're white and you want to say it, I've got a problem with you. It doesn't matter who else is saying it. Why do you want to say it? Um, So yeah, so that argument never held any, any weight with me that like, we can't expect better from them. We absolutely can. I need you to be a white person who says, I never want to say this word for any reason. 
that's it. You know, and I think that even, you know, that that whole like, why can't we say it sort of thing um, is it's just extremely bad faith and disingenuous mm-hmm. understanding of language and understanding of how we speak to each other and how we speak to each other within community. And again, I went to a, a Catholic school from sixth to eighth grade. It's my first time in a predominantly white school, first time around like all these Italian and Polish Irish kids, Catholic kids who had their own slurs for each other, mm. who would mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm not going to repeat the words, but there's a slur for Italian that starts with a D mm-hmm. and they would call each other that. There's a slur for Irish kids that starts with an M. They would call each other that. There's a word for Polish kids that starts with a P. They would call each other that. And so I would hear it and I was fascinated with it because language always fascinates mm-hmm. me. But mm-hmm. at no point that I think I could or even want to right. use any of their words. That's right. Right. Because those were their words that they had ownership of, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, that they had their own relationship with, that they had their own, you know, I, I guess, rules mm-hmm. with, too. And that's a whole nother thing is that. Right. If you say it like this, I'm going to swing on you. If you say it like that, I'm not going to swing yeah, on you. Like yeah. The nuance, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a it's a word for me that doesn't just create intimacy. It it articulates the presence of intimacy to me mm-hmm. where, you know, okay, if someone is my nigga, then if I refer to someone as my nigga, then that means that they are like, that's someone I, I care about a lot. Right. That's someone that that's my boy. That's, that's my girl. That's my homie. That's my nigga. Um, even using it in, in regular discourse, because I don't use it all the time. And it's not even necessarily me like, not using it because I'm in this white space or whatever, but it's more of when I am comfortable with a person, mm-hmm. right? Then, then the niggas will will come out a bit more. Fly, yeah. The <laughs> niggas will fly, and and also too, it is you know as I joked earlier, it's a Swiss Army knife because it it could be an exclamation, it could be like a like a butter knife, just very subtly mm-hmm. slicing through the butter, slicing through and getting to the truth. Because when I use it, mostly it is to communicate sincerity. Mm-hmm. Or, and, you know, depending, it can also communicate, like, stop fucking with me. So here's the thing. I am loath to say it, but I will text it. <laughs> I will. I will text it. Just <laughs> the word with three dots. That's like, like stop nigga, playing with me. <laughs> Well, and again, that and it, it's a way it's a way to cut through the bullshit. So when you text nigga, it's like, oh, right. this is serious. I'm for real now. Like, nigga, come on, <laughs> nigga, nigga, please, come on. What's up? But yeah, I, and that's so strange. I think it's just it's something about saying it. Even when I have said it in a rap song or otherwise, it just doesn't feel right in my mouth. But texting it, no problem. How often do you use it in your work when you're writing? Very rarely. I'm trying to think in my collection in church ladies off the top of my head. I don't think I have women characters referring to men using the word, but I'm pretty sure I have in a story called Dear Sister, Uncle Bird. He was, you know, clowning his younger brother and said something like, you know, you only nigga I know that can describe his kids like a spade's hand, you know, for an impossible or something like that. <laughs> and so that's a great line. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. Yeah, that's a great in line. All of, in all of literature. So yeah, it's used in different, you know, in those contexts. And I wasn't self-conscious about that at all. It's just something about me saying it is 
weird. Well, you know, as someone who, you know, obviously is very intentional with language, mm-hmm. you know, you have these two characters who say it. And so can you articulate the process, you know, with putting it in the mouths of these two characters and not the other characters in your book? You know, so a lot of the dialogue in my book, I would read it out loud as I was writing it after I wrote it. And it just, it's just a rhythm, like no mm-hmm. other word would do, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just... I didn't think about it after that, um, but I think it was just those particular characters, whereas the other characters, they mostly spoke like me, so they didn't really say it. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember, th- what I remember thinking was not so much putting it in the book, but I was looking ahead like, oh gosh, if I ever read this aloud, you know, if I do readings and stuff, am I going to say inward? That sounds corny to me, Right. And I told myself, I was like, if I ever read these passages aloud, I'm just going to say the word. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say the word. But I, did, I remember having that conversation with myself before the book went to the publisher. I decided that I would, would stand by it. Yeah. In, my, um, in two of my first four book events, I had someone from the crowd um, challenge my use of that word. And both times it was, a, it was an older Black man. Mm-hmm. It might have even been the same. It wasn't the same man, but it could have been. He just followed me. <laughs> He's following you around. <laughs> like, I didn't like your answer in Brooklyn. So, <laughs> you know, and, and both of them said, you know, what would my parents think of me saying what would my mother specifically think? And I, and I was thinking to myself, motherfucker, that's how I learned how to say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like I, my, my parents wouldn't use it in front of me or, or whatever, but I would hear, like if I would be upstairs at night and they would still be up downstairs, I would hear them talk to each other. And I mean, and again, it's not like I had nigga tutorials or nigga tutoring sessions, but it was just more <laughs> of me just listening to them and listening to the rhythm of it and, and mm-hmm. how to use it and just the music behind that word. Cause I think it's a very musical word. And so I, was like, you know, I want to use it too. Now, I didn't use it a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, I don't know if it was uh, me not necessarily feeling comfortable or me not feeling like I was in the right environment. I've used it probably more in the last 15 years than I had in the first 25 mm-hmm. or I don't know how old I am, however old I am. This, this is <laughs> some, I'm 44. <laughs> yeah. So the first 29 <laughs> years, right? I guess what I'm saying, all that being said, you know, it is a word that, you know, there are so many different rules and there are so many different, like, I guess, complications and histories Mm -hmm. and nuances behind it that I can, I, I get it. If a black person is like, you know what, I would just rather not say it. And I would prefer if no one else said it. Like, again, I don't agree, Mm -hmm. but I understand where they're coming from with that. Yeah. I think it's what you said, the musicality of it and in language and, that it felt so natural for my characters, even though it doesn't feel natural in my own mouth. You know, I think it kind of speaks to that. Um, I will be screaming that line in Bodak Yellow at the top of my lungs. Like it like spoke to my soul, you know, but that's the musicality of it. It's funny you mentioned Bodak and and Cardi because is she allowed to say it? See, that's the other thing. (laughs) Is it like a one drop rule? Yeah, you know? that, that, and that that's <laughs> a thing rule. that confused the fuck out of me when I got to college and I would see right. these like Dominican kids and Puerto Ricans whose skin was the same complexion of all the white people I knew in Pittsburgh. Yeah. 
using that word freely and no one was like calling yeah. them on it. And I was like, oh, I guess this is just what they do in New York State. Not in, not in Kansas yeah. anymore. <laughs> yep. So I guess uh, to this question of who says it, I have a friend who is biracial, black parent, white parent, and she never says it ever, ever. We've never talked about it, but I noticed that she never says it. I guess I, you know, I was waiting for her to say it. Um, but then I have another friend who has two black parents, but they're both so fair that people assume he's white. And we actually had a conversation about it because we were talking about something and he was nigga this, nigga that. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about this because <laughs> you look like a whole white man. And and um and he said, you know, he says, but publicly, he said, I never, he said, I will never do this in public. And I was like, I wish you wouldn't do it in private because <laughs> I'm having all kinds of feelings because the visual is still troubling for me, you know, because it looks like an Italian man is just real comfortable using this word around me. And I, I while I know that's not true, there's just this dissonance that happens. But he was like, I'm, I'm just never going to do this publicly because the optics are awful. He's like, I get it. I know what I look like. Yeah, that and it, that that part. It is a little tricky because, it, and again, I, I think this is something that I'm not going to say it's specific to the Mid-Atlantic, but it seems specific to the mm-hmm. Mid-Atlantic. We have people who are not black, but who grew up around black people right? who say the word. And maybe, you know, my perspective is skewed because that's just all I've experienced. I don't know if you have like Latinos out West or in the Southeast or whatever who say it and not just say it, but feel like they're allowed, quote unquote, allowed to say it. And don't get called on saying mm-hmm. it by the people in the community. But again, I saw this a lot when I was in school in Buffalo. And there were a lot of people from New York City at Canisius College um, who, you know, a lot of Latinos who who just said that word, like, again, like, mm-hmm. like, like they were black. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, maybe that because they were black and Latinx. That's possible. Well, it, it's one of the things that that goes back to your point, though, where someone who was so light-skinned right saying it it just becomes this disconcerting Mm -hmm. it's almost like a reverse paper bag test right right (laughs) just you're allowed to say it are you dark enough to say this (laughs) so disha where can we find you i'm at dishafilia.com and i'm dishafilia on all the social platforms (sighs) okay this has been great uh and please 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 if you haven't Buy and read Disha's amazing book, um, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. It is, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, I think I described the book um, on IG um, as um, as Church Ladies Be Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> should have been the, alter- Best review should ever. Have been the alternative title. <laughs> church, church Ladies Be Fucking. <laughs> Thank you. But again, if you if you're in if you're into that, <laughs> and who isn't? And who isn't? Who isn't? Who isn't into it? Um, yeah, please. You know, amazing writer, good friend. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, Stamen hates. The point in the show where I get to talk about all the shit that I hate, because I hate a lot of shit. I should probably hate less things, and I think that I would. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was in D.C. I was visiting a friend. I had a great time. I always do when I'm there. And so 
on my last day there, a friend of mine got access to a community center where we were going to go and play basketball like five o'clock. I drive a half hour in rush hour traffic to get there. We're on the court. We're about to hoop. Put on my shoes. I go to tie them and I throw my back out and I couldn't play. So I am not one of those people who is mad about aging, right? Because I feel like getting older is better than an alternative because either you get old or you die. But I, I just wish that we had options. There are certain things that, you know, maybe I don't need to use the same way. So for instance, I still have my appendix. I don't need my appendix. I would much rather have a working back and a non-arthritic left knee than a motherfucking appendix. And I feel like that should be an option. You know what I mean? I don't need like my left pinky all the time. Anyway, I hate that we don't have any decisions. We don't have any choice on which parts of our bodies are going to just fucking go away and give up. And I feel like we should at least have the option, be able to choose, be able to select. We should have a pamphlet with all of the choices available to us. Like, you know, what? I want to keep my knees. I want to keep my back. I want to keep my abs. And, you know, maybe I don't need that appendix. Maybe one of my molars can just go because no one's going to see it. No one gives a shit. So someone out there, make that happen. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Coming up, my homie, my partner, my nigga, Panama Jackson, co-founder of VSB and columnist at the Grio, joins me to help prevent a white woman from scaring her son's new black girlfriend the fuck away. Hi, Damon. My youngest son is dating the most beautiful and kind black woman whom I love dearly. The problem I have is that she's 21 and I'm 62, and I don't want to accidentally insult her based on her age and or color of her skin. Also, how do I broach the subject that I wish all my boys would date women of color? And while we're on the subject, I grew up in an extremely white suburb of Chicago watching Nichelle Nichols and Diane Carroll on television and wanted to have darker skin. What the fuck is wrong with me? Thank you for reading my Drek. Nancy, an old white lady. Panama, what up? What's going on? That was something. <laughs> okay. That was something. Yes. I feel like this question existed in two parts. Like the first part, my son is dating someone. I want to make sure to not have any microaggressions. What do I do? Okay. That is, that's a common and like a standard. That's a good question. That's a good question. That That's the sort of thing, like, you know what? Ask Damon exists for, not just for questions like that, because I don't want it to be ask a black guy, but I know how to respond to shit like that. That's a good expectation. But I want to have darker skin. I wish all of my kids dated 
<laughs> black women, women of color. I'm sorry, women of color. I mean, it took a left. Well, one, she ended it with the most appropriate ending ever. What the fuck is wrong with me? So there's self-awareness there. She understands that she's got some issues. Yes. But secondly, I don't appreciate Rachel Dolezal hopping up into your Ash Damon thing and trying to change the parameters of her, you know, trying not to to out herself. The OnlyFans made it so we don't have to even go anywhere anymore. We could just put it all on the table. That is true. And she is definitely putting it on the table. And, you know, and and coming up here pretending like she's 62. Right. Like, come on, Rachel. Right. Rachel, we see you. So let me ask you, though, when you get questions like this, which I'm excited to answer, the first part, like you said, is a good question. But the second part is so nonsensical. Like, do you really try to help or do you just try to point out how ridiculous that like what, what what is the goal here? You know what? That's a good question. And I feel like I try to do a combination of both. Like when I write these out, I can write the answer in like a sentence. Right. You know what I mean? Two sentences. Right. But I have to make it readable. I have to make it a column. And so I build some stuff out. I add some like some some like sociopolitical context. I maybe add a joke or two. I do what you just did where I question whether this is racial dolezal under a pen name. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do sincerely want to give the person good advice, but I also want to make it fun for me and fun for the listener. OK, like even here, you answer two questions she had and the answers are somewhat obvious. It's like the first part is like, you know what? The way to not perform any microaggressions is don't perform any microaggressions. Just don't be racist. Don't be racist. It's weird because I feel like it's always terrible advice to tell white people to act like they're colorblind. But there's a nuance to that where you don't want to fucking start wearing kente cloth <laughs> and start celebrating Juneteenth for the first time just because you have a black daughter-in-law. And maybe you'll do the Juneteenth thing. You don't want to overdo it, right? There's an extreme version. You don't want to overdo it. That people lean into. You don't want to, like, go out and just buy all the watermelon, get all the fried chicken, <laughs> you know, start, subscribe to BT Plus. Like, you don't want to do that, right? You want to ease into it. You want to just act like this person is just another person, which they are. But you do have to have some awareness that your relative is not white. Yes. And so how do you do that? How do you find that balance of of not come up with the fried chicken and watermelon? <laughs> right. But also acknowledging that, you know what, this person's existence is a little bit different than mine. Well, you know, my honest advice to this, not quite as old as she's purporting to be person, because a person who's 62 was born in the 60s, which means that they came of age with hip hop and you know, she knows Luther Vandross because if she was, you know, even if she was invested in people of a darker hue, she got to witness it all in real time with the advent of hip hop and all this stuff. So there's been a lot of studying that she's probably done unawares that she was actually studying. Like we're throwing Diane Carroll and all them in there, but mm -hmm. she probably watched, you know, Fab Five Pretty on your MTV raps. You know what I'm saying? She might have been watching Big Tigger on the basement. Mm -hmm. She might know who Ananda Lewis is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And she definitely knows who Rachel was from Video Soul because she definitely loved Donnie Simpson. Mm -hmm. She's in her 30s when all this stuff is on. Now, so the problem here is probably that she's really excited that her son is dating a black woman. And she wants to let this woman know that she can be comfortable with her blackness around her because she used to watch Rap City 
and Caribbean rhythms. <laughs> wow. She finally has somebody she can share and unload all of this that she's been holding on to for all these years. That's the problem that I think she's having. That's her real issue. You're right. She finally has an opportunity to unload all of this that she's been carrying around with her. And so I guess to your point, I think that white people have to be careful not to unload all of their built up years of like a racial studying, not even racial trauma, but just like racial studying and like racial learning into like one person. Yeah. And that's hard to do because most likely your opportunity is going to unfold on that one person because the opportunity doesn't come around that often more than likely. What I want to tell this lady is, look, just listen, welcome her into your home and treat her like you have to withstand your desire to let her know that you know what you know anytime she says something that you have some insight on. Right. So what you have to do actually is convince your son to marry her. So that over the long term, you have a lot more opportunities to have these conversations. And over time, you can do this without scaring her off, because if they're married, then she's not going anywhere. She's just going to talk about you to her son at home, but she'll always be there. She might not come over as often because you're going to outracialize her every time because we don't like that either. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know who this young lady is. You might scare her away from your son because you're you're going to over black her. We don't like that. We don't like to be overblacked. And and so, you know, what you're saying basically is to ration it out. Ration out the blackness. You know, increments, baby steps. You know, she just got to chill out. That's the problem when people are really excited. Zealots. She's a racial zealot. And she's excited. And now she get an opportunity to, like, beat somebody over the head with the thing that's been giving. Because here's the thing. She hasn't shared this with her kids because she wants her sons to date black women. But she's clearly never said it. Right. She's never told them, I want y'all to date like black or colored or colored. women. she might have called them colored women. Mm-hmm. I want y'all to date women of color like Benetton, like because I want all this culture <laughs> that I've been paying attention to. I want y'all to get it, too. I want y'all to feel what I feel. And I think that's good advice. I think that's good advice for her. I think that the first part, just be a cool mom to the girl that the guy's dating. Like you don't have to release all this backed up <laughs> blackness studies that you've been participating, all this all, all this critical race theory that you've learned, you know, th- th- throughout these years. You don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to let her know about that. And, and the second part about, you know, her wanting to be black and her wanting her other sons to date black women, like, I think you need therapy. Like, I, like that's definitely something that you should not, I'm glad that you're sharing it with me, with us, because you should not share that with anyone else unless they're a paid professional and they can help you unpack some of that. What does racial therapy look like? I I don't know. Is that a thing? Are there racial therapists? You buy a bunch of Ibram Kendi. (laughs) Maybe buy my book. Maybe listen to your podcast. Some Imani Perry. Well, I kind of wonder. You remember how there was like a drop squad? Remember the movie like The Drop Squad? Yeah. I think you're right on the you need therapy, but I also think that's just like being really invested and interested in something that's that's natural. Like in, you know, we're black people, so I get it. Like I understand why you would enjoy the things that innately we are able to have agency and 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 run roughshod through and enjoy and you know, like I understand all the lingo in the shade room and stuff like that. Like I can I can understand why you are excited about that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the wanting to be and like really wanting to like bring your family into that fold 
that is interesting. Like, I, I don't even know what kind of therapy that is. Because, like, is that self-hate? I don't even know if that's self-hate. It's on the line between over-admiration, wanting to be black or whatever. That's that's the self-hate part. But, like, the wanting your your sons to do, like, that's kind of, like, overly, admi- like, this is appropriation. She's trying to appropriate, use appropriation to get her, her sons into, uh, I just don't know. To me, appropriation sticks here. I don't know exactly why. And is it because she wants, like, these cute little curly-haired grandbabies? Is that what she wants you know what i mean and then we go to physicization right because well that's clearly top of mind yeah you can go to spaces that encompass the thing that you're looking for without it being aggressive without it being a problem without it being something that's going to make other people or you uncomfortable like you can just like you're not going to change like it's not going to change but you can enjoy, as you have been doing in a more active space, perhaps. You're from Chicago. Go to Harold's. You know what I'm saying? Go get you some some chicken. You know, there's an active jazz scene in Chicago. Like, go, you know, get you a Bulls jersey and stay out of certain neighborhoods. But, you know, just go be present. Panama Jackson, where can they find you? Where you be at? I be at thegrio.com and on social media. And that's T-H-E-G-R-I-O dot com. Because if you know how to spell Grio. You might be looking for the T, but we didn't we didn't put the T in there. And on social media, I'm at Panama Jackson everywhere. Uh, you can just Google Panama Jackson, and that's me at this point. So uh, yeah, but don't don't I don't want this lady to find me because I don't want her to ask me more questions like this. She needs to ask you because you literally are the platform for this. I don't want that anymore. I don't want personal <laughs> questions about how to like. I don't want. I can't. I got no recommendations for you to go. Don't know Chicago that well. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Again, I just want to thank our guests, Disha Filial, Panama Jackson, for coming through. Also, thank you all for coming again to Stuck with Damon Young. Remember, listen and subscribe for free on Spotify. Hit that button. Also, if you have any messages, any questions, anything you need help with, hit me up at AskDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. Our executive producers are Kendra James and Sandy Gerard. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering from Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Gimlet and Spotify... Our executive producers are Crystal Halls Dressler, Lauren Silverman, and Neil Drumming. Gimlet's managing director is Nicole Beamstrabor. Also, special thanks to Leslie Guam. Follow and subscribe to Stuck on Spotify. Tap the follow button and hit the bell icon to be notified when a new episode drops.